Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. I'm Mara Chawastik. I'm Wayne Gladstone, and this is Sticks and Stones. The show where words can never hurt you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again this Wednesday or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Tonight, joining us is a screenwriter for TV and film. He co-created the Joe Schmo Sh- Show. Wow, that's hard to say. And co-wrote Zombieland and Deadpool, which is in theaters now. He's also written the novel Anxiety. And tonight, what I assume is his greatest achievement, he is on the Sticks and Stones podcast. Rhett Reese, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This this is a new apex for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> I figured it would be a, a big deal. I mean, such a big deal you have to sit in your car while you do it. Uh, but I'm, we really I'm, appreciate I'm very it. excited. I'm very, very excited. <laughs> well, good. Um, we have a ton to talk about, obviously. You have, uh, you have a, a bit of a career that we could go over. But generally speaking on our show, we, we really like to talk to people about how they first started to get involved in their craft, whatever it may be. And so I wanted to talk to you just right off the bat about, you know, the earliest times that you were writing. You, you said you've always kind of been a writer and you were doing that even when you were in elementary school. And That's you correct. really got into film writing uh, during college, right? So you took a Yeah, a class yeah. I mean, I wrote I, I, my very first piece of uh, written art, if you can call it that, was I tried to write my own Hardy Boy book in the fifth grade. Uh, and it was uh, The Case of the Lost Valley. Um, okay. That was what I called it. Yeah, The Case of the Lost Valley. And um, anyway, I wrote about 13 pages. And I was a really good mimic for being that young. Like I really mimicked, I, I, had, read, I had read probably 50 Hardy Boy books and I mimicked them like crazy. And I, I kind of knew how the characters interacted and the jokes, you know, by, the, by Hardy Boy's best friend, the kind of jokes he would tell and, and the, kind of, the kind of cases they took and things like that. So I did my best to replicate a book. And at, at page 13, I, I crapped out. But, um, but <laughs> to go back and read it now, it's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Well, it, it really it cracks me up. When you go back and read it, though, is it very frustrating because you don't actually solve the mystery of who stole the the valley? Yeah, and it's it's terrible. The mystery will forever remain unsolved. <laughs> it's like the OJ uh, case. Like you know, how did it happen? I, I will never know. Did you have the um, like the hardbound blue Hardy Boy books, like the fancy ones? You know, what I'm that's about? exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. It was the old, the old blue ones, and I read every single one in that series. So, I wanted and, to. It seemed like the coolest thing. I loved holding them. I loved reading. I would like sit with a Hardy Boys book and like, like you could like wrap your knuckles on it and made a nice, good, like okay, like sound. But I, I hated them. <laughs> I never really. Finished. I couldn't stand them. I never finished one, and I always. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I like. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. One one of the things that they instilled in me, probably more than anything, was uh, the idea of a cliffhanger at a at a chapter break. Like every single chapter break had a cliffhanger. Like it was, it they always ended with someone getting punched or someone leaping out of a closet or you know like whatever it was. There was always some action, 
and and it would drive you to the next chapter. And when it came time to write my novel, I did the same. Basically, every at end of every chapter was a cliffhanger. And then when we write TV, we find we do the same thing. Almost every commercial out, you know, right. in a pilot, we 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 have we have a cliffhanger. And I just figured that I it worked for the Hardy Boys, so why not now? No, I, I agree, wonderful. and I do the same thing pretty much in 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 my novels as well. Uh, not a cliffhanger per se, but definitely, uh, you know, definitely a good commercial break. But I don't know. It just uh, I thought they were square. I think that was the problem. They they didn't seem like fun guys to hang out with. They just did. Fun you were too stuff. much of a rebel, Wayne. Like as a child. What I just, was you is you know, much of a... in the suburbs of Long Island. You know, I was just I'm sitting there in the suburbs and I'm saying, look, I'm like five years away from a bar mitzvah, who's cooler than me, this is bullshit. And I just want to... That's what I got yeah, I, I was the opposite. I, I loved authority. I still do love and, and bow down before authority. Um, well, and, and it's not... Such... I was deep Burroughs, you know, Burroughs, Carraway, <laughs> mainlining a lot. But, uh... So so you went... What, what, let's, let's jump around a little bit. You've, you've written novel anxiety. You've certainly done... Written bunch of screenplays um how in terms of uh process in terms of outlining how different is your process for a screenplay than a novel or similar i should say well you know i've done both kinds uh in both ways and and when i say both ways um i mean uh, outlining feverishly in some cases and in other cases just writing by the seat of my pants and just kind of going page to page and seeing where the story takes me. I think um, the fun of, of doing uh, an outline, or I guess it's, it's a little less fun because you work it out all in advance and the actual writing tends to be a little dull. It tends to be a connect the dots exercise. Right. And you're not really exploring right. and discovering. Um, right. But but I think there's a safety net there. You know, as long as you stay close to the outline that you pre-approved and that you really like going in, you, you'll probably end up with something pretty good. Whereas the, the writing by the seat of your pants, like magic can happen. It's very fun. Your characters seem to be acting in front of you, and that's really exhilarating. But sometimes you can go down rabbit holes and take tangents that you probably wouldn't have had you written an outline. So anyway, uh, I, I've written both ways. You know, Zombieland, interestingly, was very much seat of the pants, had no idea where it was going from moment to moment until the end. And, and that was, uh, that was real fun. But something like Deadpool was very, very uh, carefully outlined in advance. Um, so it, it really, really depends. And uh, on the project and depends on the situation. I think there's nothing more fun though than sitting down, with a blank page and not really even knowing where it's going to end and just going where the story takes you. It's dangerous, but it can be exhilarating. Well, I, I know you've, I hear, hear you that you've done it uh, both ways, um, but specifically with the novel, how was, how... The novel, the novel actually was very seat of the pants, uh, and I haven't written a second novel yet, and I'm not sure what, what uh, strategy I would apply, but, but I, I wrote the novel without knowing where I was headed, and... I think it has a little bit of that quality. Like I think when you if people who read it, they say it can be quite surprising because they just don't know where it's going. And I think that's because to, to a lesser degree, I didn't know where it was going. Um, so I, I knew vaguely where I wanted it to end. And I think I had that George R. R. Martin. I, first of all, I am no George R. R. Martin. I don't want to compare myself to him talent-wise. But I, I think I have that George R. R. Martin feel of I kind of know where it's going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. It's like I know I'm headed to California. I know I'm going to largely be traveling east to west, and I'm going to hit a couple of key cities along the way. But beyond that, it's going to be uh, it's going to be discovered. 
I feel that's right. uh, you say George Martin, but I think of George Lucas when I think of. Well, I know I kind of want to go here. But I'm not exactly <laughs> sure with the prequels, but um, yes, you know, it's funny though. We had Teddy Wayne on the show. I don't know if you've read him. He's a novelist. He wrote Capitol and Love Song as uh, Johnny Valentine. And it's funny. He and I both said something similar to you, but a little different. First of all, he and I both write our novels to almost like Hollywood beat sheets. We find that traditional film structure very comforting to have in the back of our mind in a novel as well. But he and I both said that like we were happiest writing when we knew about 75 to 85% where we were going. Like enough for things to happen, but not, you know, to discover things, but not so yes. bizarre that you feel you're, you're going to take a turn that's going to generate 100 pages you can't use. Yes, uh, that's a great way to put it, and because you want enough discovery and excitement that the the process is enjoyable, um, and, and I think that twenty five percent is what keeps it fun, and I think that fun yeah. tends to bleed bleed onto the page. Right. You know, before I flip it back to Mara, you mentioned Zombieland and the structure of that. I I had read this. Maybe it's apocryphal. Um, did Zombieland originally start as really when you were writing it? Uh, envisioned as a series I had heard and then later that's was correct adapted to film that's correct Zombieland was originally an hour-long television pilot uh, that we wrote and it uh, it was a very much a seat of the pants exercise where every every uh, you know whatever seven or eight pages I forget how many uh, there act breaks there are an hour-long TV but it's like roughly four act breaks something like that so uh, roughly every 10, 10 or so pages, there would be a commercial. And so we, we would write to the commercial, basically, and then fit the pieces together. And, and then ultimately, when the decision got made to try to turn it into a movie, we took what was supposed to be the second episode, and we kind of glommed it on to the end of the first episode and then created a climax. And when we made, we made Zombieland, and what, what makes me amused in retrospect is that when, when people analyze Zombieland online, they often look at the careful three-act structure and they'll break it down. And this is where the inciting incident comes, and this is the midpoint, that's why they chose this moment and that. And it couldn't have been further from how we wrote it. We wrote it, as a, as, again, as an hour-long TV pilot. It ultimately right. transmogrified somehow into a, into a, uh, into a movie, but, but none of those decisions were, they might've been, you know, kind of subconscious, but they certainly weren't conscious. All the things that the, the structural analysis of that movie is, is BS because none of those things were uh, intentional. Right. And even at the time of filming, things were still changing, right? I mean, maybe this is wrong too. I had read that the idea for Bill Murray, first of all, I'd heard that the original draft, like you didn't know who the celebrity guest star was going to be like Bill Murray, there were many ideas before it came to Bill Murray. And then that the idea of him to just kind of dress up like a zombie, wasn't that during filming, but not during the script? Yeah, it, 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 it was. I mean, we, we originally wrote it. It wasn't in the original pilot, so it was part of our episode two that got glommed on at the end of the, the, the first 60 pages. But, um, and it was originally written for Patrick Swayze, actually. And right. Pat, Patrick Swayze got got cancer, and and he got so sick we couldn't even offer him the part, which was, which uh, forced us then to go look for other actors. And our producer convinced us to write spe- specifically to attract each actor. So we ended up writing about ten or eleven different versions of the screenplay, you know, consecutively, not at once. And and each time we would take the new draft that was tailored to the new actor, and we'd go to that actor and we'd say, here, read this, and. 
And we got a lot of no's. You know, we got no's from people like Joe Pesci and Matthew McConaughey and The Rock and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Mark Hamill. There were a lot of different and, and getting the no, getting the no from The Rock, though, that had to be particularly painful. Like, cause well, yes, I mean, I think he said yes the, to the one that, Yeah, you know, I know. Well, the one that was really painful in retrospect, not for us, but for for the actor was Jean-Claude Van Damme. He, we hear that he calls it the biggest regret of his career, passing on Zombieland. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, and we finally came to Bill Murray uh, on set. Like, we were two days away from shooting the scene. We still didn't have an actor. We had written an alter- alternate version with no actor. They were just going to come to a fancy house and fight a bunch of zombies in it. And uh, thankfully, uh, my writing partner, Paul Wernick, um, went up to Woody Harrelson and, and just said, is there anyone else in your Rolodex you could think of with 48 hours to go who might be willing just to hop on a plane and come down here? And Woody said, well, maybe Dustin Hoffman or maybe Bill Murray. And we said, yes and yes. And and there were a lot of twists and turns in between that conversation and when Bill Murray showed up 48 hours later. But it was it did turn out to be Bill Murray. And it was it was a stunning twist. I mean, probably the, the biggest Hail Mary and the greatest miracle of, of our of our career. Yeah. It was a pretty phenomenal thing to see, uh, certainly in the film, because you, it's, yeah. you're not expecting it. It's it's really and wonderful. Kept it, you kept it. No one knew it really. I like. I think right. I rented. I think I rented Zombieland. I don't think I saw it in the theater, and I didn't even know he was coming. Like it was really well kept, part of his. Hush-hush. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. I said it was just really kept hush hush. It really was a surprise. It really was a treat. Yeah, and that was just because Bill Murray had a rider in his contract that said you're not allowed to use me in the marketing material. So we obviously would have advertised that Bill Murray was going to be in the movie had we been given the opportunity to, but he didn't want to be in the in the marketing material. So then we decided to go the other direction and not say a word about it and let people discover it by a word of mouth and let it be that secret that people say, oh, you can't, you got to go see Zombieland. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but you got to go. And, yeah, and right. it, it worked. That 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 strategy actually helped us. Absolutely. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, you mentioned Paul Warnick, so I just wanted to, to take a moment. Um, as I said, we talk a lot about um, the, the crafts themselves and how people do their art. And uh, and you have been writing with uh, one particular writing partner for, for some time. Um, so I just want to talk about how you came to start writing with him and, and when that happened and, and what sort of relationship that is. Yeah, well, it was a little bit happenstance in that I was a screenwriter and he was a reality TV producer. And uh, he, I was over at his house watching a show. He was working on Big Brother at the time. And he said, you know, we had to come up with an idea for a reality show sometime. And that night we thought of the idea for the Joe Schmo show, which was essentially a hybrid show, a hybrid scripted reality show that took, advantages, uh, took advantage of my scripted background and his unscripted background. And we went out and pitched it. And we sold it and we made it. It was, it was a very crazy time in reality TV where two bumpkins could just get a show like, and and we actually got a show and we made the show and it was kind of a, a stunning turn of events. But but uh, after a few years of reality TV, when when our particular genre of hybrid shows seemed to be dying, we decided to jump out of it. And, um, you know, uh, we, we were at Zombieland on spec to try to break out of it. And I he had never written a screenplay. So it was Zombieland was um, something that, uh, you know, he, he had a learning curve on it just to get up to speed in terms of what it meant to be a screenwriter and how to tell stories in that fashion. But but uh, that was our initial uh, go. And and, uh, and then we've been writing together as screenwriters ever since. Wow. 
That's great. Have you guys ever, I mean, I, I've heard a lot that screenwriting partners are, I mean, like any other relationship where you go through all of the various things relationships go through where things are gelling really well or you're butting heads more or things like that. Have you guys ever been close to breaking up or has it been sort of a solid? No, we've together? never, we've never had, we've never ridden that roller coaster in the sense that uh, we've known each other since high school. Uh, we were friends, friends long, long before we, we were writing partners. So I think we always have the friendship to fall back on, but I think mm-hmm. we have a pretty good role when it comes. I mean, we, we are reasonably egoless and I think we have a pretty good role when we write. And that is that, uh, well, two roles. One, one is everybody's got veto power. So if, if we don't like something the other guy wrote, you know, we can always veto it. Um, that I think that allows us the freedom to try things. And if the other person doesn't like something, we just say, okay, I'll try something else. And, and we, we try to leave our egos at the door. Um, but then secondarily, we have another rule, which is whoever cares most wins. And oftentimes we will go back and forth on something three or four times. And, and it's clear that one guy really likes it or one guy really hates it. And the other guy either likes it or maybe sort of doesn't like it. And generally the, the more passionate person in that, in that case, get, you know, the tie goes to the more passionate person. And that's, uh, that's done pretty well for us over the years. I like that. That, that seems like a very, uh, a very solid working pattern. I, I kind of want to adopt that. Should I ever be writing with someone? It, it seems like, Seems like it makes sense. So I'm yeah, going mean, to interrupt we, we, here. We, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Actually, go ahead. We'll finish this part. I here. was just going to say we we actually trade scenes back and forth, and when we do, whatever changes we make to the scene, we bold. So we don't write in the same room together. We bold each other's uh, we bold each other's stuff where we change it, and then we send the bolds back and forth. And then generally, when we're happy with something, we just unbold it. If we're not happy with it, we change it to some to a third option, and then rebold it and send it back. And then and then as the drafts go back and forth, there are fewer and fewer bolds until there are finally no bolds, and we've got our, our first draft. So. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Does it ever turn that you're just like, <laughs> you're just bolding things like and changing them back the way you had it back and forth? Or yeah, like, we have, okay, sometimes, yeah. We, sometimes we have those passive-aggressive fights, but usually it's, it's the rule is, you know, if, if, if it comes back bolded and you don't like the new option, you're not allowed to go back to what you had before. You have to go to the, uh, some third thing. So mm-hmm. I mean, there's sometimes late in a script where we'll make a change to something that's been there a long time just to try something new. And, and in those cases, oftentimes you look at the new thing and you think, mm, let's just go back to what we had. And so we think that's kind of that's within limits to go back to something we had in that case. But but generally it's you just have to keep trying new things until you're both happy. And then by that point, the, our two voices have generally melded into one voice. And you'd never know that somebody wrote scenes one, three and five and somebody else wrote scenes two, four and six, if that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. It really does sound like you guys have a very strong working pattern. You could probably write a guide for other people getting started with a writing partner because there's a lot of yeah. I, I, I do think we yeah. I do think we have we have definitely helpful tips for people who are just starting out. But of course, everybody does it differently. Some people like to be in the in the room at the same time when they write together, and that's how they do it. So um, it's really what works best for you. But we definitely think that our our particular process works well for us. Well, that's great. Obviously, it's it's gone well so far. So during the course of our show, we like to not only speak with our guests, but we also like to play games because um, that's one of uh, Wayne and my both interests. So we're going to pause here for a moment and play one of the games that we usually play, if you're on board with that. Totally very great. Easy. Okay, good. This is going to be really, really simple. This game, uh, which we haven't played in a couple of episodes, we, we had some 
other things in its place, but it is Stick Stone Story. And during this game, I'm going to read three connected anecdotes. They are all true anecdotes. One of them is about me and Mara Chua Stick, so that's Stick. One is about Wayne. He's Wayne Gladstone, that's Stone. And the third is about someone in the world that someone is usually a famous person. It is tonight a famous person. Once I have read all three anecdotes, it will be up to you to decide which one's stick, which one's stone, and which one's story. Make sense? I'm not sure. The stick, the stone, and the story, is that re- the reference to those three options? So you're the stick, Wayne's the stone, and the story is the famous person? That's Correct. right. You got it. Which is okay, why I cool. really wanted to call the show Stick Stone Star. But, uh, but got we'll it. Just it. But um, Mara felt more strongly about it, so I unbolded it, and then that's how we ended up with Stick Stone. Got it. <laughs> the first and only I thing like I've it. ever felt more, more strongly about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Our three anecdotes. Uh, tonight, I should say as well, I chose the theme uh, tonight, as you'll see, um, for a reason. Uh, I don't know if you even recall this, Brett, but you were at my baby shower in Los Angeles uh, uh, yeah. for my <laughs> child. So he's now four. And, um, oh, my gosh. And awesome. I know. And he recently saw his first movie in the movie theater, which he hadn't done before. So this, uh, these anecdotes are all about being a child and seeing a movie in the movie theater. Got it. Okay. The first, the, the first movie that this person remembers seeing in the theater was Star Wars A New Hope. And their favorite scene was the two seconds that you see that holographic chessboard game in the Millennium Falcon. This person liked that scene so much that they insisted that their parents take them back. And they went back to the theater and saw that same film a second time. That's your fourth. Okay. That sounds like me, but yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's you know. uh, the first film this person was ever taken to see in the theater was the Disney film Snow White. However, this person started getting nervous when the theater went dark. And when the evil queen came on screen, this person started screaming crazily and had to be removed from the theater. And when this person's parents tried to get them to go back in, this person refused and instead demanded to be taken home. Okay. And finally, when this person was in first grade, They were perhaps foolishly allowed to see the Sylvester Stallone film, First Blood, which, like most Stallone films, was an intense action film. Oh, boy. The next day, this person filled up a Houdini lunchbox with steak knives that they stole from their kitchen drawer, and at recess tried to practice throwing them like Stallone, which ended up getting this person suspended from the first grade. Ooh, this is tough. I mean, this is very tough. Uh... I am going to, this is going to be a little stereotypical, but I'm going to, uh, Mara, I'm going to go Snow White for you. And I'm going to go steak knives for Wayne, because he seems like that kind of person, little little psycho. And I'm going to say Star Wars is our mystery celebrity. That's just a total, total out of left field guess. Okay. That's not bad. You got one out of three, which is good. Oh, Many people have terrible. None out of one three. out of three is terrible. <laughs> well, wait, you have another. It is have a failing grade, but in this game, it's not bad. No, in this game, it's it's really, really reasonable. And you'll have a chance for a, a bonus point here. I am the one who uh, got so freaked out just by the concept of movies that I was screaming uh, and had to be taken out of Snow White. I was four years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Star Wars one was Wayne. And you That's were also good. four, right, Wayne? 
I, I was four years old. I mean, I may have seen the movie before that, but that's the first movie I really remember seeing. And I know we saw it twice, and we saw it twice because I wanted to see the chessboard scene again. And when they included the hologram, the holographic chessboard in the in the reboot, I was so so insanely happy. So insanely <laughs> yeah, happy. I mean, yeah, the holographic chessboard is is probably the most important element of any Star Wars movie. <laughs> I, I I mean, it, it's the thing that stuck with me. I I just loved it, probably because it, you know uh, it looked sort of like the old like King Kong kind of creatures battling claymation movies that I yes. was on a Saturday morning. So it was like it was like familiar to me. But okay, so I'm Star Wars. Mara is uh is Snow White and here's the thing. Even though the last story can be anyone in the world, you can guess who it is and get a bonus point. And because I don't know who it is either, I get to play along too. And I I'll go first just to just to remove one fewer person from the world before you go. Okay. Okay. I'm going to guess the uh, the uh, mystery guest is uh, Brad Brief, as I guess every week. Mm, it was not Brad Brief, unfortunately. Right, so then, okay, for the uh, so 20th consistent cross, row in a week. Cross that off your list. One fewer person in the six billion people in the world. Yeah, he seems a little uh, old, maybe, for first grade, I, first blood, or is that I, what it was? It was I, first... Yeah, yeah, he's definitely too old, but I really say it every week, so I couldn't, there was no backing okay. yeah, No, you can't back. get out of it. Sooner or later, you'll yeah. be right. One of these things is going to be him. I keep waiting <laughs> for her to throw me a bone. I keep trying, frankly. There's just not enough Brad DeReef information out there on the Internet. If I, I could find not. some good Brad DeReef uh, anecdotes, I would be filling this game with them. He's such a good actor. <laughs> Uh, let me guess. Uh, do, do I get a guess now or not? You get to yeah. guess now. Okay, I'm going to say Paul Rudd. That's, a, that's an excellent, excellent guess. I like that very much. It was that's not Paul too, Rudd. But he's too old this, as well. I, well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how old. Yeah, I guess he must be too old. I actually did. I went by age. I was trying to find someone who, who was uh, age-wise in between Wayne and myself, so as to kind of middle the years that, that things came out. Uh, and that person was Ryan Gosling. Oh, interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I thought Ryan Gosling was younger. Wow. Was younger than what? Younger than you, and younger than apparently he is. Um, no, he, he is younger than me, but it still worked out. <laughs> no, I believe you. I just didn't, I just didn't know. I thought he was younger. Um, I guess when I was swooning to the notebook... You know. Yeah. Anyway. So let's jump ahead to one of your other pre-interview questions that I'm very interested in, which is, um, by the way, there's going to be another game in about another 15 minutes. You okay. Can, you, you claim your glory there. You don't. And then they, we end with a game that you really can't get wrong. So I wouldn't feel bad. Also, we've done about how many shows now, Mara? 25? 30? Something like that. Yeah. Right around and there. And there's only, there's only been like three or four guests who've won both games. In a show. Oh, it's very, boy, yeah. Very rare. It's a job. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, here we go. Um, the question is, we asked you something about going on in your industry that, that you know, upsets you, and, and you had answered that you felt very much film was ruled by fear, and I was wondering if you could expand on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess the thing that bothers me the most about movies, and certainly uh, we've we've adopted if you can't beat them, join them policy. But 
that uh, you just don't see a lot of movies made based on uh, original screenplays written by screenwriters. You only see movies now, or, or you largely see movies that are based on some some other intellectual property. So either an old TV show or a book or a, a sequel or a comic book or a toy or, you know, something that is already board proven game. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah board game. Uh, you know, yeah. something that's already proven itself to have an audience. And I think that the reason they rely on those particular things is because uh, of fear. They're just afraid of trying something original and having it flop and having to answer to their bosses. They want to uh, exploit properties that have already shown uh, the ability to reach an audience in some fashion or another. Um, and I really worry that it's starting to happen in television now too, because television has been really the, the last filmed refuge or refuge of filmed entertainment for original ideas from screenwriters. It's the place where you really see writers are the ones who originate the ideas for TV shows. At least they used to be. And suddenly in the last year or two or three, we've seen a lot of shows that are reboots, remakes of old shows, remakes of movies. Uh, and again, we, we've had to adopt it. If you can't beat them, join them policy on some of these things because it's just, it's just what, get, what gets made anymore. But I really wish that the town in general were a little braver and a, and a little willing, more willing to take chances on the original ideas of screenwriters. Yeah, well, it's in all it's in all industries, right? I mean, uh, Broadway certainly, maybe even more drastically, right? You know, like every I know musical is an, is a Disney adaptation. Um, I know. And uh, I just pitched a new novel to uh, to my agent. She's not wrong. I'm not in any way trash talking my agent, but she really liked it, and she's like, "But I can't think of another book it's like." And they call that in publishing, you know, comps. Come up with some comps. Point to me yeah. everything that were successful like this. And I'm, I'm trying yeah. to find it, um, even though we all agree it's a good story. And it's basically kind of like a high-concept comedy. So so I was like, all right, I'll think of a big, like, I'm like, all right, well, Legally Blonde. Okay, that's a high-concept comedy, and that was a book first. And she's like, yeah, 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 but that was a book that no one wanted to publish. It was self-published, and it only sold copies of a book because it became a hit movie. That's kind of <laughs> situation in reverse. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's everywhere, I guess. You know, and as the uh, economy becomes a riskier place, everyone wants a safer return on their uh, on their investment. And of course, they talk a big game. But you know, we just we wrote a GI Joe movie based on a toy. We wrote Deadpool based on a comic book character. We uh, we would certainly love to see Zombieland live as a Broadway musical. You know, for instance, like I so, I, I get it. Suggest that. <laughs> I get exactly. it when it's your property. Yeah, or it's your it's you trying to make the money, but but it's just I love uh, that there's a that that every now and then there's a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan who breaks through and becomes powerful enough to get his own original ideas on the screen. Oh. Like I I, I n- I'm really never more excited than when I go see. I didn't I I I don't necessarily think every one of his movies is my very favorite, but that said, I really enjoy going to movie after movie from him recently and movies like you know Memento in the old days or Inception. Or, these kinds of movies are just the kinds of movies that would never would never come through that traditional studio system and would never get made if it weren't for the power of someone like Christopher Nolan. Right. I mean, I'm, a, I'm as well a huge Christopher Nolan fan, and it's kind of like in some. It's funny because he gets such respect. Uh, he's done very. He's very successful, but gets tremendous critical acclaim as well. And yet, also, there's like hipster circles where it's like very hip to like shit on Christopher Nolan, like he's somehow. No, really. 
Oh, yeah, it's on the internet. It's disgusting morons. Dumb, dumb, bad people. Uh, but it's out there. Like, they, they, he's some sort of smoke and mirrors, like, oh, he ain't so great. But I'm just a huge, huge Nolan fan. And um, I loved Interstellar, and I loved Memento, and I loved, uh, you know, the Batman. Was every Batman movie perfect? No, but was, like, were all of them good? And was The Dark Knight one of the best Superman superhero movies ever? Yeah, I think it's hard to Absolutely. Yeah, he just he he's such a an original thinker, and even when he's taking an existing property, he comes into it with a rare, very original take. And uh, I I just uh, I think the world of him. Yeah, I, and you know I don't think he gets credit. I mean I'm you know he's thought of as a very you know intellectual solid person. I mean his films, I think his humor in all his movies. I don't think he gets enough credit for having a sense of humor. I laugh. Oh sure. Uh, in all his films, laugh a lot more than other people who think are being lighthearted. And he's got this rep as like, oh, you know, it's, it's it's weighty, it's heavy, it's intellectual. But there are jokes in his films, at least conceptual. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, they also have heart, too. Like, I, I, I really feel for the people in his movies. Like, uh, Inception, when Leo comes home and his kids are outside, like, I, I really got a huge lump in my throat. Like, I, I feel like he's, he's both a thinking person's uh, writer, but also a feeling person's writer. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, no, I mean, I was, Interstellar is a movie about physics, but I was completely emotionally engaged, even though I felt it didn't take, like, a lot of cheap, easy triggers. Right. And, it was like, and still I was emotionally engaged. Yeah, well, enough about blowing. Can you get him on the show, too? Because... Well, so I... I want to jump, you know, to this little thing that you did, uh, Deadpool, which I guess yeah, right. was top of the box office for several weeks in a row. A tremendous, tremendous hit. And uh, and people have been gushing about it, but uh, someone, a friend of mine as well today, was telling me that it's just absolutely the best uh, superhero film she's ever seen. And she's... Oh, that's awesome. nice. So, yeah, it's it's... You did good. But I wanted to talk to you about the process of writing this film uh, and when you started writing it and how it how it came into your hands. Well, we uh, it was an open writing assignment many years ago, probably six and a half, seven years, almost seven years ago now. It was an open writing assignment. Fox wanted to spin off the character from a brief and kind of tragic appearance in uh, the Wolverine movie, the standalone Wolverine movie. Um, into his own movie, and we ultimately got hired to write it by Ryan Reynolds and Drew Cabello, uh, and we wrote it rather quickly. We broke the story with Ryan, so we would sit with Ryan, my writing partner and I, in a room and with a cork board and some index cards, and we figured out the story together, and then Paul and I went off and wrote it, and we would turn pages into Ryan about every 10 or 15 pages, and he would give us a couple thoughts and say, keep going, and pretty soon we had a screenplay, and then uh, and that was about spring of 2010. And then it took us about five years from that moment until when until the moment Fox said, OK, go make the movie. So there was a very painful five intervening years where the, the script sat on a shelf and we we tried our damnedest to convince the powers that be that this was a script worth shooting and a character worth turning into a franchise. And and uh, at long last, we wore them down with the help of a few fortuitous moments along the way. But, but uh, much like Deadpool himself, the project died and, and reincarnated many times along the way. I mean, it was it was a toughie. 
Um, but really, I mean, we didn't. We did a, a little rewriting along the way during those years um, for various different reasons. But really, the bulk of the work was done in about a three-month spurt back in 2000, early 2010. And and um, it's just hard to believe it took that long to get into theaters. But thankfully, it did, and it finally reached its audience. And I think now the audience the audience uh, has clamored for more Deadpool just by virtue of voting voting with their dollars. And so the hope is that there will be more Deadpool. Yeah. Well, I mean. It's hard to, I mean, you know, there's no accounting for, you know, what Hollywood will do, but it's really hard to believe that uh, that it took such convincing because Deadpool has got such a tremendous fan base, and it was just such a, I mean, anyone who goes online, like, that's the hit. It's not, I mean, I like the Daredevil series on Netflix, but, like, no one was clamoring for Daredevil. You know what I mean? It's not like that's the right. character that everyone loves. Deadpool had a crazy cult following, Maybe yes. like the hippest superhero you could think of, but maybe and that, you, yeah. you yeah. experienced that online fandom, right? If I understand, if I look at your Twitter and I see the the biggest tweet that you have had, uh, it was during the trying to get this this film made, right? Yes, yeah. I went to the masses. I said, "Hey, retweet this if if you want to see a Deadpool movie," and I got something like fifty five thousand retweets. It was crazy because I, you know, probably up until that moment and and, and in the time in since I've never gotten more than 25 retweets on anything. And suddenly it was 55,000. Like it flew around the internet like crazy. We, there was just a thirst for this movie. And I think that was one of the many, many things that the crowd did a sort of like the crowd, the crowd who wanted a Deadpool uh, did to convince the studio that they may be, they, they may be uh, worth listening to. <laughs> and did the the studio were they ever giving you reasons why they were shelving it? Was it sort of uh, you know? Yeah, we heard did things sound final. Yeah, we heard different things at different times. But interestingly, largely they they said the problem was the script. Uh, they didn't believe in the script. They thought it was too crazy. And and uh, I don't know. They just didn't quite get it. I mean, it's it's an avant garde script for sure. It jumps around in time and space. It's very meta. A lot of jokes about movies. And I think. Uh, you know, it needed an executive team who was, if not necessarily all young in years, definitely young at heart to embrace the iconoclastic uh, rule-breaking nature of it. And finally, we got that particular group of people. So so it worked uh, it, it worked out, but it, 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 I think it was just, again, fear. You get back to fear. I think they were afraid for a long time to spend a lot of money on, on this crazy character and this crazy thing. So... And I think finally those fears got quelled with the reassurance from the fans over and over again that they wanted to see it. And, and we had the right, the right star and the right script and the right director, and they finally said yes. So. And yeah. did you have any times that you really were just like, okay, well, that's it. It's done. i got to move on. We have to think, of, you know, this is Yes this is and now. no. I mean, I definitely felt it was done many times, but I think – Deep, I'm so sorry. That's my car beeping at me. I don't know why it's beeping, and I hope that's not hurting the podcast. But every now and then, you're gonna everybody in the world world who's listening to this is gonna hear that my key battery needs replacing because that's what it's telling us. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't, I never gave up. I always, we always believed at, at the very bottom of our hearts that the script was worthy of getting made. And I think whenever you have a piece of material you've worked on that's your own personal favorite among all the things you've ever done. Uh, I think that you just have to hold out, uh, you know, have to keep the faith because, you know, there are instances in Hollywood, like I sold a script one time 12 years after I wrote it, like, 
there are instances like that where you've heard no for many, many years, but finally, for some reason, the stars align and you hear a yes. And so you know that can happen. And when it happens once, or even when you hear stories about it happening to other people, you tend to just think, okay, we're never going to give up. We're just going to keep believing in this and keep poking and nudging and cajoling. And sooner or later, maybe someone will listen to us. And finally, someone did. Did you, um, you know, not being in the industry, and I, I feel like you really have to have a tremendous amount of of self-confidence, and certainly I would imagine with a writing partner and with a team behind it, you, you that is a void self-confidence because you've got other people who also believe in the project. But if you're hearing repeatedly, yeah, the, the script isn't working for us, we can't, we can't do this, we can't sell this, whatever it may be, were there times when you had to fight the desire to kind of say, all right, we can, we can change this, we can, we can soften it, we can make it easier, the, maybe the breaking the fourth wall doesn't have to be so jarring, to, you know, all of the, the elements that make it so interesting and cool, did you ever have to Well, kind of yeah, I mean, we, we, did make, we, we, we did actually knuckle under at one point and made one huge compromise in that we did write a PG-13 version of the script. And because we thought that would would convince them to make it, because there's a little bit more of a box office uh, uh, potential on the on the high end with a PG-13 movie, so we did that. And it, the script's not terrible, but it's just it feels a little bit more like it's Ursat's Deadpool, like it was just a a little uh, a, a little poor facsimile of the real thing. And I think finally, thankfully, to their credit, they said, you know, this R-rated version feels more fun. Let's just roll the dice on it. And and at the at the budget number we were talking about, which is roughly a third or even a quarter of what some of these big superhero movies get made of, I think that that was the price that that was right, and that and that they were willing to take the risk. But yeah, we weren't above compromising a little bit here and there to try to make it happen, just in the sense that we were really desperate. But but you try not to you try not to abandon your principles. Well, so I had asked uh, I asked in general if anybody had any questions for you, and and I got some. Um, one of which I I thought I'd throw in here. Uh, someone had asked how much improvisation was there in the cast, or you know, was there any, and and did any make the final cut, or was it all just following the script? Uh, well, I wish I could say it was all in the script, but no, it really depends on the actor. Um, but the two actors who improvised and improvised a lot and improvised brilliantly were Ryan Reynolds and TJ Miller. Those guys just come from an improv background. They love doing it. They're hilarious. They're creative. And, uh, and a lot, particularly Ryan, well, actually both of them. I mean, TJ's not in the movie as much as Ryan is. So Ryan has a greater bulk of, of things that, that came out of his mouth, but, but, uh, TJ too, like this, just, they, they have a great batting percentage when it comes to saying funny things. And, and we had a, you know, let the let the best line win contest on most days when they were there. I mean, unofficial, not an official contest, but just they would they would do the lines on the page and then they would start trying alternate lines. And, and then later in the edit bay, we would sift through them and the director and we would all look at them and we would try to make a decision on what the best line was. And the, the nice part about research audiences is that they will respond and laugh and not laugh at various different things and where they're not laughing, you can look and see if there are alternate versions or alternate ways of cutting the scene to make them laugh. And so we had options because of those guys. And some of the very funniest things in the movie were things that Ryan either just had an idea the night before and wanted to try it, or he thought of something on the day. He's, he's an absolutely brilliant human being. And, and I know for a fact, the very single biggest laugh in the movie uh, was a Ryan line, and that's Deadpool's joke about the fact that he only he comes to the X Mansion often, but he only sees one or two X Men there, and that must be because the studio can't afford any more. He makes that joke uh, uh, within <laughs> the movie, and it's the biggest laugh uh, in the movie, and that was something that Ryan just threw out there on the day. So, 
we owe a lot to those two guys. And we, and we come from Joe Schmo show was an improvised show. We come from an improv, improv background ourselves. We've never improvised ourselves, but we love improv actors and we have never been above, uh, you know, using them to the full extent of their talents to make, to make the, the finished product look better. Cause it only makes us look better. Really. No one ever really knows who's who wrote which line. So it makes us look good <laughs> until now, <laughs> until now. <Yeah. laughs> so keeping with the comic book theme, I'm going to move into the second game uh, of the night. It is okay. Redemption. And it's a game called, it's a, little, it's a little messed up tonight. It's a game called Highbrow, Lowbrow. What it usually is is that I pick a topic, and then I have like two highbrow questions about that topic and two lowbrow questions within that topic. It didn't really work out that, today, that way this time, because the topic is comic books, because of your Uh-oh. work with Deadpool. Okay. But it's, it, instead, it's really more like the lowbrow questions really are just easier, and the highbrow questions are, are harder. There's two okay. of these, and you have to do best of three. And you okay. can say, start with a low or start with a high and whatever you want. So you can get your first lowbrow, your first highbrow, whatever you want. You pick it. Okay. Okay. okay, let's start with the let's start with the easy ones and work our way to the hard ones. Okay, well, you can't get this one wrong. I mean, maybe you can, but you have to try. This would be... There's a large part of opinion here. Unless you name a character I really like, and then I'll just say you're wrong. Name the <laughs> stupidest comic book character of all time. It can be in a comic book or movie or, or a TV show. It's basically the stupid, the lamest superhero of all time, either in a comic book, movie, or TV show. Boy, that's, that's a toughie. Uh, I'm just going to go. I was so traumatized and scarred as a child that I have to say Howard the Duck. Um, I think Howard the Duck. Uh, based, on, character... based on the movie that you saw. Yeah, exactly. I went to the movie. Okay. I, I did not read. I did not read the comics, and I went into the movie. You know, I think with the innocence and thrill of being a child and loving George Lucas and knowing this was going to be great, and came out going, "If I ever hear the words Howard the Duck again, I'm going to jump off a bridge." Like, and that was like at age ten or something. Like, I mean, I really, really. That was like the first time in my life I realized, yeah, movies can be bad. Like, you know, and like yeah. you can hate them too. You don't just really? have to love everything. So you got you got that right. That is correct. Um, there was there's more than one right answer to that one, but that is correct. Okay, so now we'll just move up the lowbrow. Uh, name a difference between Spider-Man's superpowers in the comic book versus Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. There's a difference in their physical powers. Um, 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 let me think. I think the first, I think the probably the most important was the webs. I mean, because the original Spider-Man, he concocted the webs on his own and, and okay. you know, you, used the machinery to, to fire them. And in the movie, he, they came right out of his wrist. Is that correct? That's right. That's what we're going oh, for. I'm glad I didn't the way, that. I'm just... every week, every week, Mara tells me my questions are too hard. And uh, every week I tell her, no, 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 they're not. Now, I don't know that you're going to win this game, but I did assure her that you were going to get those two questions correct. Okay. Well, I'm on the right so, track. I've redeemed myself a little bit. Right. Now, these next two are a little harder, um, but you only have to get one out of the next two right to win the game. Okay. The okay. There's a highbrow. And, and like I said, the highbrow, lowbrow distinction really doesn't matter. It's just difficult. It's like, okay. It's boring, freakingly hard comic book questions. Dan Lee's real name. Oh, oh boy! You you've got me there. I I I confess I don't know the answer. And I've met Stanley multiple times. Uh, I met him once. Now, 
Yeah, I, I, gosh, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to have to say, I, I admit, I don't know. Well, I thought, I looked it up, I thought it was Stanley Leibowitz, but it's Stanley Lieber. Stanley Lieber. Okay. All right, well now, you know, I don't know if this next one is harder or easier than the Stanley one, because the Stanley one, you either know it or you don't. Uh, final question to win the game. DC Comics and Marvel Comics both have a Swamp Man-type character. What are the names of these two characters? They're two, they're two oh. characters that both kind of like come and live from the swamp. Oh, boy, this is a toughie. Uh, well, I mean, the one that jumps to mind immediately is the Swamp Thing. But Correct. I, okay, so that's the, that's the one that jumps to mind immediately. And then the question that's is, can thing. I... And was it, wait, wait, who was that, Marvel or DC? Swamp Thing is DC, and Marvel okay, has but... one that okay. has a similar name and is a very similar concept. Oh, gosh. Darn it. Oh, it's killing me. Um, let, let me, can I, can we uh, talk about something else for two minutes while I think? I mean, I, I hate to yes, be on the clock. Can. I'm you hearing, I'm hearing the Jeopardy I'll, music. I'll just talk <laughs> about it, too. I'll give you, not like hints, but I'll talk about it a little, too. First of all. It's surprising to me. I was a Marvel reader, so I should remember the Marvel one and not good. the. And, I will and I'm going to kick myself, but. The Marvel one is a little bit less humanoid looking, a little bit less. And ironically, less looks a little bit less like a man. Ironically, because that's, so man is in his name. So, but I don't. There certainly couldn't be Swamp Man because that's there is no Swamp Man. Okay. I don't. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so wait, come on now. I told you his name was a lot like Swamp Thing. And now you very astutely realize that man was in his name. And then you said it can't be Swamp Man. And then you just kind of stopped. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're saying it is Swamp Man? No, but there's only oh, one okay, more sorry. permutation. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I mean, I... Okay. I, I the Marvel character, his name <laughs> is a lot like Swamp Thing. And you figured out it has man in it. And it's not Swamp Man. So well, maybe I mean, it's, it can't be man swamp. I mean, it can't, no, and it can't, no. and it can't, it can't be thing man. I, I'm sorry, I'm, oh I'm facing, I'm, I'm crashing and burning on on on, on a live yeah, broadcast. You have, you have, you're, right. you're, you're correct. It is not swamp man. It is not man swamp, and it's not thing man. The man oh. thing. Ah, there you go. The man thing. I suddenly the remember. Man. You know, it's funny. The man thing. Gosh, that that I don't have. I cannot picture the man thing. So I he's clearly like, never he's read. He's like a he's like a trunk. He's like he's got two arms, two legs, but his face looks a little bit like Snuffleupagus. He's got kind of a trunk and sucked eyes, and he's he's kind of like the Hulk in the sense that he's very powerful but dim-witted. He doesn't speak, but he he has yeah, like I, I, of his neck. Yeah, I I would be really curious as to when the man thing was popular because. I, I think if it had been right in my wheelhouse, because I read comics only from a certain age to a certain age. I was not an adult comic reader, so, and I wasn't a little kid comic reader. So if, if he didn't fall exactly in my window, I mean, like, I hate to admit this, I, 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 you know, live, but I didn't know who Deadpool was when they came to us and said, hey, do you want to write the Deadpool movie? I, I'd never heard of Deadpool. So 
like great example. Like I'm not really a comic book nerd. Like, I mean, I'm a nerd, right. but I, but, but I'm not as, I'm not the guy you find at the comic book store every week, you know, walking home with his bag full of stuff. I did that as a kid. Uh, I, I let that go when I went to college. And so uh, it, it's, it, I might've just missed the window or I'm an yeah, idiot well, or, or I have early onset problems, but. Well, <laughs> unlike Swamp Thing, they never made him into a movie because he was probably yeah. too hard to pull out of the time. But they were both from really the same time period. Uh, they both started in 71, Man-Thing like two or three months before, and there was almost litigation because oh. there were like three different guys. There were three different guys involved between the two characters, and they all lived together. <laughs> they were all like um, That is so and, weird. And, it, and weirdly, Stan Lee gave it the name Man-Thing, <clears throat> which makes no sense, right? Thing yeah, that thing makes no sense. You not 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 really. No, the man thing. No, I mean the thing. Yeah, sure, but not the man. Well, that thing. was the thing. The guy who came up with it is like, you've already got the thing, and he's not even the man. <laughs> so he was not happy about it. But, yeah, uh, somebody got ripped off in that apartment. Definitely. So, yeah, so that's the case. But uh, oh my gosh, well, okay. I lost at both games. I, I crashed it's and burned so here tonight. Well, I, no, no, no. You got no, no, no. I'm giving you. I'm giving you the. Uh, you you won that one. You won that one. No, you totally did. That. You're, you totally you're being did. way Please. too kind. You know what? Usually, Morris is the one who who throws away wins and gives uh, guests hints that they don't deserve. But you so quickly, you so quickly realized that man had to be in the name that I wanted you to win. It was only oh, that, that was that very kind. The important thing is. Wayne usually gives me just endless shit for doing that, and uh, and now I have the opportunity to just dish yes. it all back to him, and that's really it all. And it's perfect. I just I, I I just realized that you know I can feel pity at about twenty five hundred miles away. Like I felt the pity coming from New York. <laughs> much, um, much like Manson, who who has the power of empathy. Um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So we don't have a lot of time left. I know you're gonna have to get going. I haven't but, one kind of. Final question here for you before we do our little roundup. Um, you, you know, you've had some tremendous success here. Zombieland was a wonderful film, and that was an original idea that you brought to screen. And then Deadpool, obviously, is a phenomenal hit, and that was an adaptation of a character. You were having to adapt a work that already existed. And now, as I understand it, you guys are um, signed to go for the uh, for the next Deadpool film, which uh, then is a follow-up to a, a hit. Now you're talking about a franchise. And so you, these are three very distinct sort of pressures of writing. And I'm wondering, do you, do you feel like one is more stressful than the other or they're just equally stressful in different ways? Well, I mean, I think they're all stressful. I think the most stress actually comes in success. So I feel probably bizarrely, more stressed out right now by Deadpool 2 than by anything, just because it feels like the whole world's watching. Whereas back, back uh, when we were writing the first Deadpool or, or Zombieland, where you're just writing your own thing, um, there aren't people clamoring for it. There aren't people saying, hey, is it coming? And, you know, it's like, I, I really pity the, the, the George R. R. Martins of this world who are, who are working on the next installment of something that people love, because people are really unforgiving. I mean, they, your, your biggest fans can become your, your biggest detractors overnight if you don't deliver for them. And so I just think that pressure, the high wire act that is the, success, the already successful franchise is, uh, is unlike really anything I've felt at this point. Like I actually feel more stressed right now, apart from the trying to put my food on the table stresses of the early days. You know, it's like 
but the, but I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean? It's like those, those, sure. when you're, when you're, when you're really struggling, but, but, you know, as a writer who's been working pretty steadily for the last 20 years, like I, I, I think in a weird way, the stress is higher at this moment than maybe it's ever been. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. That's, that's going to be very difficult. I know you have to go. I don't know. Wayne, do you want to quickly do I don't that? You know, usually, usually we do a thing called Knowledge Roundup where we just talk about what we learned in the last hour, but you got to go. I know you learned that Man-Thing was another creature and Stanley, Stanley's real name. And I, I am uh, never going to forget that. The Man-Thing is now lodged <laughs> very, very... I'm going to go look at a picture of him when I get home, too, to really lodge him in there. But. I think it'll bring it back. I, frankly, the only reason I know is because I, I had a book and record. I don't know if you remember those, the book and records. And so oh, sure. I had, one, I had one Man-Thing book and record. And it was awesome. It is actually, maybe not for nothing, I'm not even joking, one of the biggest writing artistic influences in my life. Tremendous pathos in that story about a clown who commits suicide and Man-Thing finds the body and buries it. But um, Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, depending and I, on when – yeah, I mean, you, when you read something that's very emotional and impactful like that at a young age, it can really lodge. I think it's one of the, the great things as a young person is to have your imagination and your empathy and your fears and your uh, joys, uh, you know, kind of ignited by a piece of art. You know, it's just it's it's a fun thing. So that makes uh, sense. I will let you go, but I had a huge fight with a guy about how some of those memories are the most important. Well, inspirations to draw in later in life, and he was a creative guy too. And he said, "Well, you kid, you're stupid. You shouldn't draw on those things." Dumb. So thank you for saying that. We'll let you go. I really right. appreciate you being here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun, and uh, I'll I'll. Uh, I'll do a bone up on some knowledge so I do better in the games next time. <laughs> well, we can't wait to have you back. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Everybody have a good night, and you'll hear from us again in a few weeks. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.